Good morning to you. It's so lovely to see you, those who don't know me. Uh, my name is Duncan Ridgen. I'm uh, normally a chaplain at Bournemouth Hospital. Uh, that's where I attend my working week. Uh, but I've had the joy of being here at uh, Christchurch Baptist Church for, I think, for nearly 30 years. Uh, so it's um, been a joy to be part of the church here. And what a great church we, we have. I'm going to open up with you this morning Acts 8. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Acts. Okay, opened up Acts 6 and 7 to us last week, and it's my joy to look at Acts 8. I'm just going to look at some sections within that. So we're going to look, first of all, if you wanted to turn in your Bibles or get your phones out, look at Bible Gateway uh, on that. So whichever you get your phone out, have a look at where we're, we're going, because we've been following the verses through, and I'm going to read the first verses from 1 to 8. Acts Saul, uh, and Saul was there giving his approval to his death, Stephen's death, which Kay opened up for us last week. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all prayed, they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Let's turn then also to verse 32, uh, listening again to the passage that Kay read a few moments ago in the NIV version. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip, uh, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. <clears throat> But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What a great passage of transformation. I love stories of transformation. Did you hear this week that there's going to be a great transformation between YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter? Yes, there's going to be a great chance that they're all going to become one company. It's called you Twitface. 
Don't worry, you don't need to show, sell your shares in Twitter. It's okay, that's not true. It's okay. <laughs> Acts 8 is a great transformation passage of Scripture. Lots of action, lots going on. If there are passages in the Scripture that envision and impassion the church for God's work, it's Acts 8. We see, God, we see the Godhead at work. We see obedient disciples joining God in what he is doing. And we see world changers. And I think, God, help me be part of that. Keep me faithful. Keep me going in the Christian life. I want to see one more person, one for Christ. Is that what you want to do? One more person. Amen? Amen. Amen. In this chapter, Luke, the author of Acts, focuses on a man called Philip, Philip the Evangelist, and his unquestioning obedience because of his belief in the unquestionable truth of the gospel and his un the unquestionable power of the Spirit. In chapter 6 of Acts, we are introduced to Philip, who is one of the seven men called upon by the twelve disciples of Jesus to look after the distribution of food to the Greek and Jewish widows. We see Philip doing food bank. Is this an endorsement of food bank? I think it is. It's here in Scripture. And Philip was doing it. Philip was the first to make sure that food was fairly distributed to the Greek and Jewish widows. He's called first and foremost to serve behind the scenes, not up front speaking to thousands. His job was to make sure people were fed with food. A great endorsement for people who like to work behind the scenes in their ministries. It's great, great work. But it seems that Philip did not keep his job for very long. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, Philip doesn't do anything for very long. But let's just look at the backdrop of Acts chapter 8. The very first verse of chapter 8, Luke writes, and Saul stood there giving his approval to Stephen's death, to his murder. In the very first verse of this chapter, there is something extremely evil happening. A few verses later in verse 2, Saul is destroying the church and people's livelihood, dragging men and women off into, into prison and destroying their livelihoods. The persecution scatters the Christians in Jerusalem and moves Philip away from the job he was doing onto Samaria. And in the next section in verse 9 of, chapter, of that chapter, Philip meets Simon the Samaritan sorcerer. Try and say that to your neighbor, Simon the Samaritan sorcerer, without spitting all over them. All right? He's trying to do something over lunch today. He's influencing the highest levels of government in his deception. He's impersonating the devil himself. He is being worshipped as a man who is called the great power of God. What lies? And then verse 26, Philip is again moved again to the barren desert. Nothing here except heat, sand, and the old cactus. And Jewish people did not like the desert. It brought them back the memories of being in the desert for 40 years, wandering in the desert. And the desert is also a, a picture of, of sand impinging on life, the desert impinging on what's happening, a picture of sin and evil. There is death, destruction, deception, desert. It's a backdrop to this chapter, revealing Satan's kingdom at work. And against this activity, Philip is called to serve. With death, comes mourning, destruction, comes trauma, deception, there is disillusionment, 
Put them together and there is darkness, disruption, chaos, a seemingly hopeless ingredient. But how can the church stay strong against such a kingdom of evil? What is it that holds Philip on course? We can see, firstly, we see the unquestionable truth of the gospel. Philip knows his Bible. We see this in chapter 6, when Stephen, a colleague of Philip, recites the history of the Israel, of the Old Testament, with such precision that he uses it to present a case against the religious leaders, their disobedience, and their dependence upon the Jerusalem temple and its system for salvation. The religious leaders have no answer to Stephen, so the best they can do is murder him, kill him, get him out of the question. But then in verse 4 we read, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip knows his Old Testament, but Philip also knows God's love for him, that everlasting love, a love that is real, practical, personal. Philip has a message in him that he simply cannot contain. It has to go out to everybody around him. I was thinking this week about Philip's life. We come into we get to know Philip in Acts chapter 6, but I could imagine that he was around Jerusalem when Jesus was around. He was there watching Jesus uh, in the temple. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He was there when Jesus descended into heaven. He was there when the Spirit came. He experienced that new love, taking the Old Testament and making it new and real to him. He knew his Bible. Philip can't help himself. He has to move from Jerusalem as a result of the persecution, but he goes to Samaria, and as he goes to Samaria, one of the hated cities by Jewish people, he has to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Then we see the unquestionable truth of the gospel again in Samaria. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he makes it very clear that to fight the evil one, to come in conflict with him, we have to use the belt of truth. There is a truth encounter when we come against the evil one. Paul writes, we have to put on a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of the peace, shield of faith, the word of God. So in Acts 8, we see Philip proclaiming the unquestionable truth of the Messiah, and that is confirmed by signs and wonders. Impure spirits come out of people. Many who are paralyzed and lame were healed. We see the unquestionable truth of the gospel driving back Satan's power and drawing in the kingdom of God. Do you know what I once remember? We once had a, a Ugandan choir here on the stage many, many years ago, uh, the Watoto Children's Choir. And there was this little Ugandan guy right at the front of the choir. Everybody's sort of focusing on because he said he wants to be a pilot when he grew, when he grew up. And he, he stands there and he, I saw him go, Satan, we stamp on you. <laughs> this little guy. But he had the power to believe that he could stamp, stamp on Satan because he knew the unquestionable power of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is our weapon against the power and kingdom of the evil one. 
In the desert when Jesus was facing Satan, three times he said, it is written. If we want to come against the evil power, we have to have the unquestionable truth of the gospel in us. We have to use it again and again. It is written. A few weeks ago, um, Damien and myself were in the office at um, Bournemouth Hospital where I work. And a lady came in, and it's not uncommon for me to be asked to witness signatures uh, so that um, they could have their passport sorted out, or in this particular case, the lady to get her, her pension sorted out. And, and as she was sharing with me, she was sharing that life wasn't that easy for her at the time. Uh, and Damien and I were, were listening to her story, and, and then she said to me, but the worst thing of all is I've had this terrible nightmare. It's a, it's a terrible nightmare. She said, I, I could see a door open in my dreams, and behind the door was a presence looking round the door. She said it was terrifying. I was screaming in my dream. She said, my husband was trying to wake me up, but I, wouldn't, I couldn't wake up. She said, and then the, when the presence left, I woke up, my, my husband woke me up, and I screamed. She said, it, it's, it was so terrifying. And as the conversation went on, we heard that she was attending spiritualism and, and attending a, a medium. And Damien and I, I could tell it was between us, what, what, what would we say? What would we do? We're chaplains. We have to, um, we can't proselytize. We can't say, that's a load of rubbish. Get off it. Don't go anywhere near it. We have to be careful. We have to be sensitive in what we say. I was thinking, how can I, how can I share with this lady? What, what, what is the right thing to do? Then I, I, I felt inside me the Lord's Prayer. Say the Lord's Prayer. It's the Word of God. So I said to her, just as she was, she was talking and sharing her story, I said, why don't, you, why don't you, before you go to sleep, why don't you say the Lord's Prayer? And off she went on another tangent and, and started talking about something else. And then she was coming, I said, you know, when you go to sleep, why don't you say the Lord's Prayer? Off she went on another tangent, went off in another direction, and eventually I said again, why don't you, share the, why don't you say the Lord's Prayer? And she said, well, I don't think my husband would like it if I start reciting the Lord's Prayer before we go to bed, but I'll say it under my, under my breath. I'll, I'll say it like that. I'm looking forward to meeting that lady again in the, in the corridors of the hospital because I know I will. And I'll, I'll ask her, how are you getting on with the Lord's Prayer? Because I believe that the Word of God will make a difference. And my hope and prayer is that she'll be able to go to sleep and have freedom from those nightmares. So we can dare to be the church because of the unquestionable truth of the gospel. It stands against the workings of the evil one. Is that true? Do you believe that? Then we've got to live it. We've got to live it. So if we can see the unquestionable truth of the gospel, we can also see the unquestionable power of the Spirit. The book of Acts is the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit, pushing back the evil one, bringing in the new kingdom. When I see the Holy Spirit at work in Acts, I'm reminded back at the beginning of time, before creation, Back before the seven days of creation, there was a void, there was emptiness, there was chaos, there was darkness, a seemingly hopeless ingredient. 
a list of, no, of all sorts of different uncertain aspects. What was going to happen? And God speaks, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Hovering is one of those words that holds the sense that something amazing is about to happen. To know the hovering spirit of God is to have a hope in this muddled world that is going to convert the chaos. And that from the chaos, something new is going to happen. From the pain and mess, we can see a redeemable way forward. Ancient Christians who worshipped in the language of Syriac took the word for hovering and borrowed it in their liturgy. In Syriac, the word hovering is used the same word in Genesis for the hovering spirit to describe the actions of birds who are brooding over their nests, incubating the eggs that will hatch into their offspring. And in Acts chapter 8, we see the spirit is waiting for the command. And as the command is given, the spirit of God is hovering, waiting to move. Something amazing happens, and life is given into Acts chapter 8, into the actions. The hovering spirit is always a sign that chaos is about to be converted, and that creation is breaking forth from the darkness into new life. I'm going to go back to this image again and again when I see the chaos that is happening around the world. As Caroline was praying earlier, she went across the world, didn't she, with all the different aspects of areas of pain and brokenness around our world. And as we were praying, the hovering spirit was waiting for our prayers to come down and act, waiting for the church to pray, to make God say, this is where you must work. And down went the hovering spirit and brought a difference into that area. And in Acts chapter 8, we see this again and again. In verse 7, we see the Spirit at work through Philip. There was death and destruction. And we read that shrieks, evil spirits, came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that spirit, in that city. In verse 12, there was deception. They believed Philip, they believed, they had believed Simon, but now they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men, men, men and women. Then in verse 7, Peter and John placed their hands on the people of Samaria, and the Samaritan church is born. They received the Holy Spirit, and the church in Samaria is birth. Then in verse 29, there was a desert, and the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Verse 36, the Ethiopian eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? I've heard the word of God. You've explained it to me. It's clear. I want to accept the Savior into my life. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly then takes Philip away. How wonderful that the Spirit is hovering over the uncertainties facing our present world. He is waiting to move. He is waiting to move. What do you see? Do you see a breaking world? Or do you see a hatching world? God is waiting to hatch something new from the breaking that we are seeing happening in our world. What is going to come forth 
Is this the moment for the church to dare to trust in the unquestionable Word of God, the unquestionable power of the Spirit, and to stand up and speak out that we are the holders of the kingdom of God. We have the truth in us. We want to speak it out. And something new is hatched. Something new comes forth. So if we can see the unquestionable truth of the gospel, the unquestionable power of the Spirit, we can see how Philip's unquestioning obedience brings about change. It brings about change. God speaks a lot in Acts chapter 8. He speaks a lot. He speaks in lots of different ways. How do you hear God speak to you? In Acts chapter 8, God speaks via the church. Uh, Sorry, in chapter 6, verse 1, God speaks to Philip via the church. In chapter 8, verse 4 to 5, God speaks to Philip via the circumstances of the persecution of the church. In chapter 8, verse 15, God speaks through the disciples' teaching and prayers. In verse 26, God speaks to Philip via an angel. Go to a dusty road in the desert. In verse 29, God speaks to him by the Holy Spirit. In God's wisdom, he moves Philip away from Samaria, out of the comfort zone of a successful ministry. And he says to Philip, go to a dusty road where there will be nobody, apparently. And he finds one person there. He knows, Philip knows the love of God. He trusts God. He's seen God work in so many other ways. So he obeys. And as a result, Ethiopia gets their first evangelist. And Ethiopia is reached with the gospel. Philip isn't told why. He just knows he must go because God has sent it. I love to see these wonderful coincidences. As Philip is approaching the chariot, there is the Ethiopian reading scripture at that very time, and he happens to be reading that amazing passage in Isaiah. A perfect stepping stone into the gospel. I love to see these coincidences. come Not coincidences, they're God incidences, aren't they? They're God incidences where God brings all the different things. That's why I think in heaven there must be endless praise and worship because everything in heaven is seeing God bring these different aspects together and they're saying, you're doing it again. That's amazing. How do you do that? That's fantastic. Worship. Incense, that brilliant song. Incense going up again and again. A few years ago, I had one of these incidents happen to myself. I was, I was knocking on doors giving out pamphlets uh, for a church event that happened in Burton. And as I knocked on the door, the door opened and a clown stood at the door. Yeah, big wig, full makeup, flashy shirt, big, big trousers. I thought this could be a horror movie. He said, come in, come in. As I went in, he said, sit down, sit down. He says, I've got to sit down. I have to sit down. So I said, okay, we'll we'll sit down. He said, I'm meant to be doing a children's party in about an hour. He says, I can't do it. He says, I've got terrible vertigo. He says, I can't stand up. He says, I can't do the the party. So I said, well, well, I've got pamphlets here, but can I pray for you? It's my sort of way in to bringing the gospel, to say... 
can I pray for you? And he said, yes, if, if you want to pray for me, yeah, pray for me. So I prayed for him. He said, it's not much better. So I said, well, I've, I've, I've got to do some more pamphlets. Took my exit, left. But I, a couple of weeks later, I thought to myself, I wonder how he got on. How did he get on? So I went back to him, and I, and I knocked on the door, and, and there he was, not with his clown outfit on, fortunately. He said, come in, come in, I've got so much to tell you. I went in, I sat down, he said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, when you left last time, he said, as you left, there was another knock at the door. The doctor was at the door. He said, I had phoned the doctor to ask him to come, uh, but I didn't, know, I didn't know who this man was. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor. He said, lie down on the floor. He said, so I lay down on the floor, and he took my head in his arms. And he flipped my head to the left, and he flipped my head to the right, and he said, you'll be all right in half an hour. <laughs> and he says, I was. He says, I was. Anybody who suffered from vertigo, apparently that can make a difference. He got up and he was able to do the children's story. A few weeks later, he came to our church. And um, Mark and I were sharing the story earlier. I said earlier that I was preaching at the occasion, but Mark says he remembers he was preaching. Because the name of this dear chap was John Meek. And the first week he came... Mark was preaching on, blessed are the meek. Isn't that amazing? And he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Isn't that wonderful? I'm going to see John next week because I know his life is, is coming to an end. It's coming to an end. But he knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Who knows how, as we ask God to use us, how different God incidences are going to work together in order that he can use us. What's your way in sentence? What is your way in sentence to say, how can I introduce the gospel to you? All we need to do is share our stories about what God has done to us. We're just asked to witness that Jesus has done something different in our lives. Can you see how much there is in Acts chapter 8 that shows that the power of evil is being pushed back and the kingdom of God is being drawn in by the unquestionable truth of the gospel, the unquestionable power of the Spirit. And Philip's unquestioning obedience, we can see the kingdom of God coming in. So let's ask the kingdom of God to come into us now. Let's for a moment just close our eyes. And in Acts chapter 8, when the disciples arrived, they asked that the Holy Spirit would come on the church and do something new, hatch something new. Let's just imagine that the Holy Spirit is hovering above us now. He's hovering above us. He's hovering above your head. He's wanting to hatch Something new in your life. What are you dealing with? Does it feel chaotic? Does it feel destructive? Does it feel bleak? Something new the Holy Spirit wants to hatch as he's hovering above your head. 
And as you just wait for God to speak to you, He may well speak to you in a song. He may speak to you as you know in your heart you're so thankful for other areas that He's worked in your life. And you may find yourself saying, Lord, you are so wonderful. You love me so much. I'm going to submit to your will. I'm going to submit to your way. Whatever you call me to do, I trust you. Work in my life.